38 words, 26 illustrations, the best picture book in the world. Welcome to week four of 60 Weeks, 60 Books and a look at where the wild things are by Maurice Sendak, a book which will be 60 years old this year. Forget Baba and Spot the Dog, forget Miffy and the wonders of Richard Scarry, Where the Wild Things Are is the essential picture book. It is also one of the most controversial children's books, along with Sendak's other masterpiece, In the Night Kitchen. I'm not sure how old I was when my mother and I started school. The only work she was allowed to do, according to US regulations governing employment for spouses of World Bank and IMF employees, was either in an international organisation, an embassy or a school. So, we both joined Washington International School at some point in 1968. The school had started in the basement of a woman called Dorothy Goodman two years before, then moved into the basement of a small church in Volta Place in Georgetown. I think it was there, age four, that I learned to read. I remember a swift journey from sounding out letters to making out the text of Ladybird's stories about Jane and Peter, and once that happened, my appetite for books was voracious. The school moved a year later into a bigger premises on Olive Street. My mother was involved in complex timetabling involving pink and orange days. On one day, children learned English, and on the other, their classes were all in either French or Spanish, depending on the choice of their parents. We must have been in Olive Street by 1969, because I remember having my very first paid job, aged five, helping wash paintbrushes and other art-related kit. My mother was mostly in the library, and I remember great excitement and a wonderful smell when a new carpet, a beautiful turquoise colour, was laid there. I was very happy after school to sit on the floor making my way through picture books. Baba, King of the Elephants, Harry the Dirty Dog, Ferdinand the Bull, Victor the Boa Constrictor and a really fascinating tale about a small boy going to hospital, having his tonsils taken out and eating nothing but ice cream for a fortnight. And then there was Max. If you have never come across where the wild things are, you can find complete copies online, although I would urge you to go and buy a copy for yourself. Sendak himself was a fascinating man whose distinctive illustrations really did change children's illustrated books. Some years ago, there was a TV documentary about him, which is sadly only available on DVD now. However, there is a wonderful archive of interviews available online with Sendak by Terry Gross of NPR. The one that I particularly loved was a 1986 exploration of childhood. Sendak was then the age I am now. If you Google Fresh Air Archive Sendak Childhood, it should pop up. He has a reputation as a grumpy interviewee. But in this interview, he speaks openly and vividly about his family and his artistic development. Besides that, he has a beautiful voice. Born in 1928, Sendak was raised in an uneasy home, the youngest of three children. But stories were important, and his older brother also became a writer. 
He based the monsters in Where the Wild Things Are on his uncles and aunts, and he makes the comment that the monsters are not so very scary for children because Max is in charge of them. However, at the time it was published, commentators were wary of its impact on impressionable minds, and to some extent they still are, as it is one of the most banned books by certain US libraries in some states. Thinking of my own impressionable mind, all I remember is loving the story, the pictures, reading and rereading it, and looking in particular at Max sailing away in his boat. Like all the best stories, its hero is brave, resilient, determined, master of his own destiny, and of course, I really wanted a wolf suit. Sadly, it was never to be. Sendak says in his interview with Terry Gross, it's useless to protect children. As parents, we may not wish to accept this, but Sendak is right. First of all, we cannot predict or understand what exactly is going to frighten our children and what will leave them feeling cool and calm as a cucumber. Sendak recounts his own fear on first seeing Charlie Chaplin and the film of The Invisible Man. I do not remember being at all frightened reading Where the Wild Things Are because the ending is perfect and resolves so lovingly the central complex fear that assails Max when he realises that he is lonely and exiled. Secondly, fear itself can be a useful feeling. Raising children is a constant tightrope act of treading steadily between the longing to protect our offspring from every danger and knowing that ultimately we must equip them to judge and manage fear themselves as part of their passage to independence and adulthood. There is so much to fear in this complex world, but being able to recognise fear, being able to deal with that recognition and to choose between this time the better part of valour or that time the determination to work through the fear are critical skills in children and adults alike. When I had my first child, one of the first things I bought for him was a copy of Where the Wild Things Are. New parents, my husband and I read the book so many times to Sebi that we both still know it by heart nearly 25 years after we first began reading it. We ran through several copies of the book. One slipped down a lift shaft, others were borrowed and not returned. I have not asked our boys what impact the book might have had on their psyches, but I think it will be part of the fabric of their lives. And I hope that if they have children of their own, they will share with them, as I will share with you now, the wonders and delight of Max's mischievous night in his wolf suit. The night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another, his mother called him Wild Thing! And Max said, I'll eat you up! 
So he was sent to bed without eating anything. That very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until the ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around and an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max and he sailed off through night and day and in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws till Max said, be still, and tamed them with a magic trick of staring into all their yellow eyes without blinking once. And they were frightened and called him the most wild thing of all and made him king of all wild things. And now, cried Max, let the wild rumpus start. Now stop, Max said, and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. And Max, the king of all wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all. Then all around, from far away across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. But the wild things cried, Oh, please don't go! We'll eat you up! We love you so! And Max said, No. The wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. But Max stepped into his private boat and waved goodbye and sailed back over a year and in and out of weeks and through a day and into the night of his very own room where he found his supper waiting for him. And it was still hot. If you heard me discuss Winnie the Pooh last week, you may remember that I suggested that whilst a worthy contender for title of best bear in the world, Pooh was narrowly outmanoeuvred by Paddington Bear. Next week, I'll be reflecting on Paddington and his adventures. Do join me. And in the meantime, I hope that your supper is waiting for you and that it will still be hot. Goodbye. <laughs>